Yeah, now this one is for everybody, from the young to the middle age, and then to the old. Yeah, if there wasn't a yesterday, they probably won't be here today, baby. Because he loved me yesterday, that's why he loved me today. Now that we're together, let's do it again. Yeah. Hold me now, rock with me, girl. Say do it again, like the days when we were younger. Do you remember under the guava? And we stay together and like bread and butter. Hold me now, girl. Rock with me, yeah. Say do it again. Like the days when we were tender. And maybe remember under the guava. And we stay together. And like tea and sugar, you may be 19 now, you may be 38, out on 24 in this coming December. Maybe remember, aging a number, we stay together, today forever. Okay, that was uh, CC Echo by Oriri. Uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and what's going on in other parts of the world. 
Uh, today is a very uh, interesting episode for me particularly because I happen to be interviewing a person I'm a very, very, very big fan of. This is someone I hope to, uh, a lot of our listeners, you know, will get into his music. He really does a lot of culturally relevant music, uh, particularly the Edo culture and the Bini culture in South, South Nigeria. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Oriri. Nice to be here, sir. Thank you so much. Ah, definitely, yeah, definitely. How's the weather there in uh, Minnesota? Uh, how's uh, Corona? How did Corona they treat you now? Oh man, it's uh, it's uh, it's unique times right now. It's interesting times, you know. For, for the first time, we're having something, something that um, in in the in the social media um, one second information um, era, we're having a, an outbreak, and everybody has an opportunity to actually see how people that get information so quickly will react in this situation. And it's been kind of amazing to see how everybody is kind of thinking in the same direction. People are reacting to the, the information they're getting on their smartphones by the second. Mm. And it's like, you can just see how the whole world can, can be moving in one direction all of a sudden. Yeah. So it's, in, it's interesting times. And yeah, the the way information influences behavior, like it's right. on on a very massive scale. Like massive one scale alone can send the whole country into frenzy. Right. Today, I want to talk a little bit about your music. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, those of you who might be listening to this who are non-Nigerians or even who are Nigerians are maybe too young or too old to have been around when uh, you know Oriri was really popular uh, back in Nigeria. Oriri is actually a musician from South South Nigeria. He he sings in English and his native language of Bini. He had a smash hit, uh, I think sometime in 2000 and I would say seven eight called CC Echo. And uh, that's the song you guys actually just heard about now. And the funny thing about Oriri is that we actually went to the same college, but not at the same time. I think I got into the University of Benin like a year or two after you left, I believe. Um, I, I was in Ubawa campus. I'm not sure if you were in Ekenwa campus, which was like a satellite campus of the University of Benin. Yes, I was in um, Ekenwa campus for four, for four years, uh, starting in 2000 and one, I think, and I got out in 2006 uh, studying theater arts. Mm. And um, those were interesting times because, um, you know, getting out of, uh, getting into your own um, environment as an adult for the first time and trying to experience life based on the dreams you have in your heart because I just, uh, between the ages of uh, 16 and, um, and 19, I kind of understood where exactly where I wanted to go as far as arts and, and entertainment. So for me, it was like I was looking for a school I could go to where I could learn um, the art of um, drama and uh, theater. So that's why I went to Ekewan Campus. Uh, if I had my way, I would have actually gone to school, uh, film school. But Ekewan Campus and theater arts department was the closest thing I had to um, to film. To film. Know? So yeah. I said, okay, let me start from there, and then later on I can. Um, I, I can get into uh, filmmaking and all that stuff, but it was interesting time. So I did, I did go to uh, Univer and Ekenwa campus. Yeah, and uh, Ekenwa campus of the University of Benin is a campus that's uh, predominantly for the arts. Uh, we have, you know, uh, courses like theater arts, uh, mass communication, and it actually produced quite a number of actors who became really huge in the Nigerian music uh, uh, movie industry, you know, called Nollywood. So it's where, you know, a bulk of uh, arts people, so think of it as a Juilliard Academy in like New York, that kind of thing. 
uh, but just uh, relative to the Nigerian industry. Uh, it's interesting you said you left in 2006 because I actually got to, into Uniben at, uh, in December 2006. So I guess we missed each other by a couple of months. But Oriri's influence was so huge on campus that, you know, even years, like three, four years, all through when I was in school for my four years uh, in college, you know, you still heard stories about, you know, how he, he used his guitar to campaign for SUG, director of socials. You see here stories of how, you know, he, he, he sang to ladies on campus and, you know, was breaking hearts all over the place. Well, are those stories accurate or, or were they more like hearsay? Trying to find out if they were accurate or they're like they're just legends, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the heartbreaking part, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't, maybe I broke one or two, but okay, yeah, he's a changed man right now, so he's very humble. Yeah, so, so that, but as far as the, um, the uh, student union campaign and the performances with the guitar at the, in the Karen campus and the ball, that was, that was, that was. I think about that stuff sometimes and I'm like, okay, wow. That was, in, that was interesting because, um, like I said, I got into Uniben and uh, to study theater arts. And at that period, I was kind of discovering myself. Mm. I, I, I'd been working with my, my dad in his band for since 97, I think. Mm. So by the time I got to Uniben, I'd gathered a lot of um, experience performing all over Benin for weddings or burials for everything you can think of just mm. traveling all around the state with my father playing the keyboard in his band so when i got into theater art it was like i was doing what i wanted to do mm. i spent a lot of time just playing the guitar i found friends i would be interested in what i was doing so i was i was writing new songs almost every day i just let the whole environment just influence my my mind so i was creating new music performing First year, I was heavy in the theater arts department. I was uh, nice. one of the lead, lead actors for, for the main uh, stage play. I think that was Eshu and the Vagabond uh, Minstrels uh, we did. That was interesting. I was like, this is my life right here. I was 100% at the center of what I wanted to do. So by the time I got to 200 level and towards the end, I started to remember that, oh, I always wanted to cause change. If you like, I felt like I wanted to make a change. From acting to music? No, no, no. I mean, the music has always been there. That's been the okay. foundation. So okay. I, wa- I always wanted to make change just based on the kind of person I was. So I feel mm. I can say, okay, SU, becoming the S, uh, social director of SUG will allow me to uh, influence, uh, to, to, to have influence, you know, so I can kind of do some meaningful work. So that's when um, I decided to run for the, for the position. And then... Um, I had this one medical student, he's uh, now a doctor, Dr. Sagbovo. He came in with a genius idea for me to, because I really didn't know how I was going to campaign. And he said, look, you're already playing the guitar everywhere, like around the Ekeon campus. That's your tool right there. So he came up with a genius idea for us to go to Bowa. Mm-hmm. I really hardly visited Bowa while I was in school, but he said, we we're going to go from classroom to classroom mm-hmm. and just play. So we actually went to the girls' hostel first and started the campaign there. I there think was that's a, a perfect place to start. <laughs> there was a lady that was having a bad day. I don't know how we found our way in there with the guitar, and I kind of played some songs for her to cheer her up. And from and I made a poster that a poster that out of fluke became a hit because the poster looked so so good. So everybody was looking at who is this guy, and then they started hearing that somebody was going around playing mm. music for people while they were studying. 
it was wild. It was so so all that story you hear was true. Mm. For me, it was an amazing experience because half of the time I didn't want to do it. I was like, no, I don't want to go into this class and disturb people while they were studying. Mm. But the moment I went in there and started playing, it's like everybody received us very well. Yeah. And then the, yeah. So and the election was the election was amazing. The the final um the when we went before the people, the, the, just a day before the election, it was wild. It was like it was a lot of people in there. And uh, actually, when the results of the election came, we had the biggest vote, I think, the biggest amount of voters that I think Uniben has seen. Mm. My vote that I used to win the director of social position was like maybe 3,000 people higher wow. than even the SUG president. So, I mean, it was, it, it was just shows the power of music. The and power of music. Yeah, so, so the stories you heard was true. And after yeah. the NCC Echo came out and it became viral and... It was just an amazing time. Nice. And for context, for those of you listening to this from other countries, you know, Oriri is talking about himself campaigning for uh, the student union government of the University of Benin, which is a predominant college in Benin, and, you know, uh, campaigning for the director of social. So so that's why we're kind of like having a fan moment right here. But let's peel back uh, a little bit to you when you were growing up. So Oriri is uh, the son of a really popular uh, Nigerian musician um, uh, ambassador Joseph Osayomori, um, who really did a lot, uh, you know, from the 70s, and I think is still performing even till today. Uh, talk to us about growing up under such a legendary figure. How was growing up for you? Did you grow up in Benin? I know you talked about, you know, touring with your father when you were very little. Did he like stir all his children? to be involved with his music. Just talk to me about growing up generally under such a magnificent uh, uh, man like uh, Ambassador. Ah, man. I mean, growing up was, growing up was, he was, he was nice. I mean, it had his moment. I thought, um, I kind of started hearing the rehearsals and the music very early. You know, even I don't think, you know, some things just being your subconscious and then you kind of just get into it. But um, growing up in Benin was it was fun. Growing up in the house, yeah, I mean, uh, I saw my dad rehearse a lot of songs. I heard a lot of the hit songs before a lot of people heard them. Mm. I saw the process of making the, the mu- making the music, getting the boys together. So would you say? Uh, sorry to cut you short. Would you say that was your own kind of music education firsthand, in a sense? It is. It mm. is. I mean, you know, people want to come out and say every day, "Oh, I was I was playing music before I was born." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, one way you see, you laugh about it, but <laughs> but we get influenced in our subconscious sometimes, even mm. before we realize we are we're getting influenced. You know, mm. so for me, there's some things that somebody may try to learn that I don't need to learn because it's like it was I already started hearing it before I understood what I was hearing. Mm. So music education, one hundred percent, one hundred percent composition, arrangement of music enjoyment of music my first understanding of uh, of soul what it means for a song to be sweet and soulful came from listening to my dad play all those soulful sweet music yeah and your dad was actually part of the era that did some people might i know this might be a controversial statement but some people might classify your dad's era as you know the real musicians these are people who actually went into the studio were multi-instrumentalists played multiple instruments this were so was a period where you know the major record labels were actually had a presence in nigeria so everyone from the polygrams to the sonys and everyone was there and you actually toured around now for you to 
you know, be dominant in the music space, you had to tour. So it wasn't as easy as just putting your video up on YouTube and people are listening to you like everywhere. Do you find that uh, that way of you like recording music, performing music and uh, doing like touring and public relations, do you find that as the true essence of a musician or you kind of like, because I know now you kind of like use a lot of live bands and things like that. Or do you try to leverage like digital, you know, production and things like that, social media, or it's kind of like a mix of both? So now it's a mix uh, because I mean, it's it, music, the music industry is an industry. Mm. It's an industry. It's a, it's a, it's a business, you know, for me growing up um, at the point where I started to play, then the Nigerian music industry was going through a phase of um, the re- reconstruction. We were moving from just the digital recording from a place of displacement. I could put it that way. Because like you said, in the 70s, when my dad started making music, Polygram was a, a United Kingdom label, a worldwide label. Oh, Philips, actually. I think his first recordings were done under Philips before mm. Philips became a, he changed to Polygram. Those were international labels that were, that were stationed in Lagos. And they were recording West African artists from all over the place, like international. So most of my dad's earliest recordings, if you're looking for them right now, you find them in the hands of people in the UK, in Italy, in Germany. So it's like inter- it was international. The, the structure, the industry was structured. So when Nigeria started to fall into political tumult in the 87 to that 87 to... 96 everything was kind of broken down there were no international labels nothing was happening in the country mm. so the music industry fell into chaos if you like so the point where remedies two-face and them started coming back with um the new hip-hop music they started to reorganize the industry slowly so it started to grow from that period it started to grow the new artists started to come out the structure of the industry started to take form again that was the point where i started playing so for us then, there was no, there were labels, but it was, Kenny's music was like kind of the biggest thing. And Kenny's was just two guys trying to do what they could. It wasn't, but it, it needed a process to grow. But I'm trying to say, when my dad, they started, it was, it was, it was, uh, you had to be a band. You had to rehearse your music. You had to, you had to have your, you have your instrumentalist, everybody organized. And then the label found you and recorded you and put out your songs on vinyl. And then you toured. You played in hotels. You did whatever you do to you. You had to do to make money, and he, the industry was working then. Then he broke down in between the late '80s and the, the, the towards the beginning of uh, the 2000s. Decided to pick back up again, but now where the music industry is in the Nigeria, in Nigeria, is it, it's like it's back to where it was in the '70s because mm. Nigerian musicians right now, Bonner Boy, uh, Davido, Tiwasa, everybody mm-hmm. is we, everybody is hooked onto an international label, Interscope. All the big labels have uh, Nigerian artists on their imprinting. So once again, a, an artist like Davido can afford to tour the whole US. Yeah. Sold out concerts. With yeah, but some people might argue that that those signings are they are signed to like Interscope America, like they are signed to you know Sony Music America. Now you know when we will we build our own structures. If Sony Music had stayed in Nigeria, would have had the Sonic Music Nigeria by now, who would have probably been doing more to establish that music infrastructure in the culture, uh, in the country, or, you know, maybe having our own, that while we exporting our artists and, you know, selling our art and not, you know, maximizing revenue within the country, or at least, you know, even if we're selling abroad, like, you know, gaining all the income uh, for the country, that kind of thing. 
Oh, well, as far as the income coming back in, I don't know how this, I don't know. I mean, the music industry has gone through the whole di digital revolution with, uh, with, in, with uh, social media and everything. I think the industry is kind of reawakening, it, uh, reorganizing itself, if you like. But I, I think some, some international labels are present in Nigeria. I think they, they're- Yeah, they're starting music. to go back. Some of correct. them are there now, slowly. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, the way, even the way it is in America, an artist like Kanye West can start up his own imprint, like Good Music, and then mm. Good Music, he, he signs on to a bigger level like Interscope or, you know, whatever other big level is out there. So someone like Don Jazzy has Maven. Tiwa Savage is signed out from Maven. So I think, you know, it's starting to, it's starting to go like that. So, I mean, the small the, the labels in Nigeria, a couple of them are doing well. Yemi Alade's label is doing well. They've been able to take her to the point where she's collaborating with the biggest musicians in the world. So, I mean, the industry, where it's at right now, I think it's kind of, it's stabilizing. It's stabilizing, you know, as, as far as Nigerian music and, um, you know, just the whole organization is looking really good. All right, great, great. So let me go back to your music. Before we play another one of your songs, uh, I just really want to ask you the origin of this song. Now, I'm, I'm sure you might realize what song I'm talking about by the preface of this, but, you know, there's a song where it was on the Sisiko album, and, you know, the first few lines of the song was, uh, this is a story about my days in the university, and it was actually talking about a girl. So I'll be pretty direct and just ask you, who, who is Shade exactly? Was that a person that was made up in the studio or because that song just sounds too too real and you know like a real experience you went through um uh, what was your interaction with, with, with Shade what motivated you to write that song uh is Shade a real person and what's her name there was no real Shade person with the name Shade mm. no that was just a nice sweet name that I always liked you know and then it just kind of it worked it's a nice, a nice Nigerian Yoruba name, and it's, it sounds like it's being a name for a nice-looking girl. But as far as uh, uh, where the song came from, uh, growing up, I had, uh, I was able to keep female friends. I was able to have friends that were girls. So, like some guys, some guys would say, "No, I can't have a, a girl, a friend that is a girl. If we're not in a relationship, no, that's not going to work." But I was able to maintain friendship with girls. You know, we would hang out or whatever. So, and being, uh, being a Christian in the beginning, a lot of church fellowship and all that stuff, um, you would have a lot of sisters that, you mean, you respect them just based on your Christian principles. You guys had meetings, you guys prayed. And so it was that kind of situation where, and in those processes, being in, in university, you ask Christian sisters that you respected, and then you guys will be friends for a long time. And you know how the whole dating and relationship thing is when you're in Christian fellowship in Nigeria. You can't date nobody. You can't do this. You can't do that. Yeah. And so this I'm is not, particular to Christian fellowships in Nigeria at a certain time. For those people who are listening and wondering <laughs> that, what was he talking about? I mean, so, I mean, that's my own experience in that line. So I, it was based on experience, based on imagination. But I just imagine a situation where, there's somebody that you spend a lot of time with mm. and you, you start to know them. You actually fall in love with them without knowing. And then you, when the, when it's like going to get into the last minute, you are bold enough to say, Oh, well, I think, I think I've already been in love with you. So the song is just basically 
capturing all that situation. So that, that's what that song was about. Wow. So Riri was, was, was writing love songs and singing to the ladies, but it was actually a little shy of expressing his feelings to the lady in real life. That's, that's an interesting take. Enjoy this one by Oriri uh, Shade, which is uh, one of my favorite songs. Uh, and we'll be back uh, for the interview in a little while. The story of my days in the university. My hardest friend, we go to class together. Every now and then, we be hanging out together. Oh, but then my friends started nosing, saying we were dating. I got pissed because it never crossed my mind. But foolishly he said I don't the other side I was never to see your face again But you are like my brother Just like my sister Just like my lover Everything you're becoming time Tell me now how can I deny Oh Welcome back. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that one, Shadi, uh, from uh, Oriri. 
How much of your father's music did you sample uh, when writing your songs and your albums? I mean, your, your father had really popular songs. I mean, phrases like, Oba no de go transfer, transcended decades. And, you know, we still had people saying that decades later. Uh, did you ever, like, listen to his song deliberately or sample any of his beats or use bits and pieces of his lyrics when constructing your own uh, musical identity? I have not directly done that yet. I have not, I say directly because I have not directly sat down and uh, made a song while deliberately saying, I'm picking this song from SCFA Wedo or from Aurora Not Fate, the song you were talking about. Mm -hmm. But um, recently I started to, you know, look into doing that. You know, I have remade my, I remade FA Wedo, uh, but I only use it for like, live performances when I don't have backup musicians like I've done that. I did that in Houston in the convention I think it was 2016 mm. at the national convention so I remade it for a door like gone in the studio and played all the instruments myself and did the backup vocals and just you let the DJ play back and I mimed over it um, during the performance in uh, 2016 but I haven't yet remade any of my dad's song for uh, like commercial release yet I haven't done that yet Okay. Are you thinking about, I mean, even uh, though you probably might do that sometime in the future, uh, is there also possibility of you collaborating with your dad on a project? Because uh, from what I understand, he still per performs uh, once in a while. Yes, actually, this year, 2020, excuse me, uh, it's been an interesting year so far. We don't try to be scared about situations. I mean, we try to be calm when um, things are going crazy but the year has been interesting in many years started i was i've been hoping to i was hoping to go on a sort of introductory tour or using my dad's music because i actually want to start playing music because i know he's older now he can't travel as much as he used to and his fans in the u.s would like to see hear his music every now and then so i'm kind of trying to get into that step into that shoe and kind of take the music around so the plan was for me to take the music around a couple of cities in the U.S. this year mm. and then finally finish the tour in Benin in December. Oh, wow. And uh, I was saying, okay, maybe sometime next year we will try to get him back here. I would organize band and I would organize even orchestra if I can get back the horns. Yeah. Horns, yeah, session men that he used to record his earliest songs because at some point he stopped using horns and all that. So I actually had a plan to kind of do like a renaissance recording somewhere in the US or Europe where I could get musicians to properly record some of his classic songs again. And um, but this whole the whole craziness of the year is kind of just making plans a little shaky. But that is definitely something I we're working towards doing, you know. Well that'll be that'll be very interesting to see. And I hope you guys will make a stop in Denver. I mean we have a sizable, a fairly sizable uh Edo, close knit knitted Edo Bini population uh here in Denver. Uh so please if if you're you know eventually uh, want to put that together, you know, I don't mind you reaching out to me and maybe you know I can talk to one or two people. I'm not a top promoter or anything, but I'd love to see you uh actually make a stop here uh to play. Um, but but you For talked sure. about, uh, you know, your relationship with God and, you know, you being a Christian. And I'm sure that must have had a lot of influences in your music. I mean, after you released, uh, a few years after you released this is a co-album, you know, released a single called Take Control, I think sometime in, in 2013. 
um, it, it almost felt like you were speaking directly to God, and some might actually maybe classify that as some kind of gospel song. I mean, you, you're, you've been someone who's been fearless about, you know, talking about your religion on your records. And, you know, some people are, you know, very fearful that, oh, you know, I don't want to be classified as a gospel musician. I'm circular, that kind of thing. But, but you seem to have a comfort level with your faith that you, you know, actually make songs like Take Control. What, what was your mindset around, you know, making a song like that back in 2012, 2013? Were you going through something? Because uh, the, the name Take Control alone uh, almost opines that, you know, you had some um, issues personally. And, you know, I don't mean to delve into your personal life, but as much as you can share uh, just for the listeners of the podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My brother, my uh, older brother, he still lives in Nigeria right now. He he was at the point um, in business in Nigeria, and he, the business involved a lot of traveling mm. and going from um, being to Lagos and back on that express road that is just crazy, you know, like I'm robbers and everything. You know, so I think in 2011, when I came to the U.S., I went straight to Arkansas for school to get my master's degree in Arkansas. So that period, I mean, I kind of was missing my family, but in my heart, in my heart, I was having a prayer for my, with a specific focus on my brother. Like, you know, I know how crazy that road is. Can God, can you watch over him? Like when he goes up and down. Mm. So the song Take Control kind of came from there. So if you heard the chorus, uh, the verse of the song say, Papa, you they see me so, now my mama be this, um, and I love her, so protect my family. You they see me so, that my brother be this. So that's where the song Take Control came from. And it was like a sincere prayer, honestly. You know, when I went to LA to record the song in 2013, um, it was just a prayer. I was just praying sincerely. And I hope that people that heard the song and listened to it, to it um, would um, just see that I was praying for my family. And anybody that, get that, that hears it would, can use it as a tool for their own, uh, for the people that they care about. But it turns out like um, two or three years later, that my same brother got into an armed robbery situation happened and he was actually shot in the head. Oh, my God. And he survived it. So if you wanted to say, oh, well, premonition or whatever, and you want to say your prayers were answered, I guess mine was, because it would have been a different story. But um, that's just been it. I mean, I spent a lot of time in church growing up. You know, in Nigeria, it was scary for me growing up. And sometimes when I, when I got really scared, I think it was 91, just watching all the craziness on TV with the Gulf War and everything. That's why sometimes you don't need to expo- expose your kids to start some certain things. Mm. But I got so scared, and the, the only thing I could remember was all the crazy evangelist people coming and say, "Oh, the world is about to end. Go to Christ and save yourself." Mm. So that's when I started going to church. And uh, but initially, I think uh, I went to church out of fear, not out of really understanding certain things. But I spent a lot of time in church growing up. I started playing keyboard in church first, even before I started playing my dad's band. And I spent a lot of time in Agape Force, um, in, uh, in um, uh, based in Dallas Church, you know, just being involved with the youth and doing uh, Christian ministry and all that stuff. On campus too, I, I did a student union fellowship, but then I started to do politics and it was just, it's just been, I've just always had that on the line, uh, uh, spiritual side, you know, so take control is definitely an expression from that that part of me. You know, but as we grow, we get understanding. You start to understand a little better about your faith and understanding life. So it's been an evolution. 
Yeah, and, and a pretty important one uh, at that because, you know, when you put out, you know, and this is something I too can attest to, you know, you, you, you do some things, you know, born out of your own personal uh, uh, trials and tribulation, whether it is a, a song, a podcast, you know, a drawing, whatever piece of art. And, you know, someone else who is going through something similar can, you know, identify even just through sound and, you know, that can give them some kind of hope in their own situation. So um, if you guys are listening to the podcast uh, right now, um, just um, enjoy this piece of music uh, and hopefully it uplifts, it uplifts you if you're going through something. Uh, this is Take Control uh, by Oriri.
All right. Uh, yeah, that was Take Control by Oriri. And um, let me touch on you coming to the U.S. for school. So Arkansas, you said you went to school in Arkansas. Coming from a very, very, uh, I mean, the Bini culture, the Edo culture is the Bini tribe, you know, where, where people who, you know, hold dear to our culture regardless of how modern the world gets. So how did it feel like living that part of Nigeria, like South South Nigeria and coming to like, the South, literally, in the U.S., you know, where some people might determine are not as forward-thinking and, you know, a bunch of conservative folks. Um, how was your experience? Did you experience any type of culture shock? Uh, did you go through anything you didn't expect? Uh, was it easy for you to, for people to identify with your kind of music in Arkansas? Uh, just tell me about that whole uh, experience touching base in the U.S. for the first year. Definitely a lot of culture shock when I, when I got to Arkansas. But um, these Nigerians uh, do very well abroad. Mm. The Nigerians, uh, Nigerians are usually very, uh, they, they find a way to maintain who they are, no matter where they go. So I came to the U.S. and I came to New York and I went to Arkansas with a very open mind. I was happy. I didn't care. I didn't know any. I, I, I'm not one of those people that came to the U.S. I was like, oh, shoot, I, I know where Los Angeles is. That's where it's happening. That's where I'm going. Or New York or Chicago. Oh, you didn't was, care. Just, just came, wanted to I didn't go. care. Mm. I just came in with the open mind. I was happy. I was working on campus and smiling to people and wanting to be friends. You trying to be friends with people. That was the that was the hardest part for me. Trying to be happy and be friends with people. And I did not understand how Americans worked. So I would see a professor today and I would say hello and the professor would smile. And the next day the professor would walk right past me in the hallway without saying anything and i would be like oh my god that this professor hates me mm. like i just said hello yesterday what is going on why why i didn't understand that americans have their own craziness that they, <laughs> it's like it's like they, they they show you a face they give you a first face they give you a second face a third fourth face they they kind of everybody it seems like everybody got issues mm -hmm. everybody's hiding something yeah they don't want you to see immediately so pa that passive aggressiveness Yes, that was the culture shock for me. I'm not bashing Americans or whatever, but everybody, every culture is unique. But Nigerians are expressive. What you see is what you get. We're loud and out exactly. there. Like that. So that's how I was doing on the campus. And uh, I didn't understand that you needed to build relationships with people here. You need to take your time with it and go slowly. And when they trust you and then... Uh -huh. But as far as culture shock, that was definitely one. But I was not one of those people that was going around thinking everybody was racist. I didn't, I didn't even know there was anything like that as far as saying somebody is racist and all the craziness that when you live in the U.S. for one, two, three years, you start to hear about so much. Like, I didn't even know. I, didn't, I wasn't even conscious of me being black and different. Mm. That was in, I was just a human being, period, you know. And it wasn't really a topic, you know. But, I mean... So definitely when you live in the country and you, you experience different waves of uh, events in the society, then you start to say, okay, this is what these people are doing. But I mean, a few semesters into my study there, I made a documentary in one of my classes um, trying to show my own um, understanding of what I think the race problem is. And I was kind of attributing it to economics. I was saying that I don't think, uh, the, I think the, ra the race issue dis disappears the moment you attain a certain economic um, freedom. The whole yes, really. It's on it's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's called Vanishing Lines. I can send you a link. Vanishing but that lines. Was me. Vanishing lines. Okay. When race when race dies, so that was just my own um, 
a interpretation. Bit, mm. Interpretation. I wouldn't say I had all the information then, but just coming from Nigeria a few months, yeah, I just thought, I, I just based on people like Oprah Winfrey, all the successful American um, black uh, people that have done great things, they are treated and respected 100%. It's like when you're poor or you're in a certain uh, economic bracket, that's when the race thing is predominant. The, more, the moment you start to climb and climb and climb, it sort of disappears. So uh, for me, coming in, I just thought, okay, well, this whole thing is economics. Everybody's trying to be better than the next person. That's why they're trying to put each other down. Mm. But I, yeah, I mean, I can I can see how you know uh, that that actually makes sense that you can actually be a little bit more overt with the uh, racism or classism uh, between different economic groups. Oprah, I'm sure Oprah still has challenges she's going through. It might not be really overt because she has money, but, you know, uh, systematically and, you know, uh, hiding behind certain things, I'm sure she's still experiencing some of the things that uh, people on the lower class are still experiencing. But, you know, that's not to, to negate your documentary or anything, but, you know, like I said, it's, I, I agree that it's a little more overt when... You know, yeah. people are just of different classes. You can just do it knowing that that person can't add anything to you. You can be more overt with your racism than oh, yeah. uh, not wanting to, you know, maybe offend a billionaire outright in that sense. At the end of the day, I mean, just to add, at the end of the day, where I'm at with my life right now, I rarely allow anybody rent space in my head. Mm. Because I believe at the center of every human being, we are all made the same. Facts. So I do not give any person an opportunity to to diminish my my energy, my strength. Facts. Because I feel as great as I feel when I walk out of the house, and I will treat you with respect and say hello to you. So I don't already put myself in a position of uh, giving somebody an opportunity to be better than me or to 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 put me down. Mm. No. So I mean, the documentary definitely was just want me my explanation of what I was seeing, but everybody everybody wakes up in the morning feeling great except you have been damaged over time but usually people are born with strength and energy in their spirit it just takes training for people to get trained out of who they are and the strength that they possess that's possess. the whole race craziness here the whole yeah. race issue is um, somebody is definitely trying to put another person down so mm. that they can feel better about themselves and you everybody has the power to not fall into that well said. I mean, well said, well said. I, I love the way, you know, you are really deliberate about things uh, you let into your personal space. Uh, I, I love your affinity for, for the Bini culture. I love how you translate your life experiences like into song. You are really deliberate. And all these things we're talking about actually reflect on the type of music you do. And that's why I appreciate your music so much. And that's why I identify with you so much. I mean, recently, uh, the kind of songs we're seeing coming out of Africa or Nigeria in particular, you know, unlike the songs in the 80s, we on Yeka Wenu and Sonia Adi and all those guys that really had meaning to it. You know, I really seen the pate after pate and Afro pop uh, kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, sometimes you just want to forget about your troubles and have a good time. But, you know, it's also nice to see songs that where the medicine is being put in the food, uh, in a sense. I mean, like, for example, your song, I mean, your song, like, Leave Us Alone, uh, had what was like something which is almost, I can almost compare to Take Control. I mean, you had your son uh, on the cover art. I mean, you're grown, you're a dad now, you, you went through Arkansas, you actually experienced some things, and you are saying, talking about some deep stuff in that song, uh, Leave Us Alone. 
more more akin to what you were just speaking to just now, not allowing people into your personal space, leave me be, allow me live my life, that kind of thing. Um, did, is it safe to say that that song came out of, you know, your interactions with people here in the U.S. or is just your life in general? And, and why did you decide to put your song also on the cover art uh, of that particular single? Yeah, it definitely came from my, my, my from, yeah, that's a, that's a song that kind of came from the U.S., you know, because I have, um, you know, after acting, so, you know, learning when you, when you come to a different culture, when you now learn the culture, you, I don't say you change, you don't really change, you adjust a little bit. So uh, just getting in, just being, seeing people, being around different situations, uh, that's where the song came from, you know, like, uh, leave us alone. People like talk about us. They don't know how much I love you, and they don't know how you make me feel. You know, it's just like um, definitely, definitely, that's a song that came from uh, from the from my experiences here in the U.S. But um, I decided to I decided to put my son in the video and the uh, the cover art. You know, just so I could preserve the memory of when he was young. And he, mm. he's he's gonna turn three in uh, two months now. In uh, wow. He can look back to that and say, "Oh, oh my dad had me on this." So, because I, I, that's something I definitely would have loved when I was little with my dad. So that's why I did that. You know, just like a connection, just so he can remember me like that. Yeah, you know. Do you think yeah. your son will foray into music? Has he shown? I mean, I know he's only three, but has he shown any signs at all of you know being interested in the art and like following the family line, that kind of thing? Uh no. He hasn't. He hasn't. Mm. Um, he hasn't because I've seen. Uh, I've watched. I watch. I've watched other kids that um, growing up when the beat comes on, they're bumping their head and moving. My son wasn't mm-hmm. doing that. I mean, I maybe was, he's I a was, more I melodic. Was, maybe it will be a more soulful melodic. Singer. I wouldn't say maybe I was still forming his thoughts. <laughs> yeah, he was just in. He was just in the studio now a couple of minutes ago saying, "Daddy, I want to make music. I want to sing." But I mean, he just bangs on the keyboard and. I mean, when he sees people playing the drums, he wants to go in there and play. But I, I, I can't tell you right now. I mean, me and my wife, we talk about that every time. Like, what do you think Ekwene is about? And we say, well, I don't know. We don't know. We can't say what it's about. What well, the first one, <laughs> my daughter that's going to be five next week, she definitely likes the arts. She likes to paint and draw and all that stuff. Yeah. I had an uncle that was an artist. that actually went to a Kewan campus to find out from my mom's side, though. But... My daughter has shown that. Then my, my last daughter, which is the, who is about to turn one in two weeks, that one, when the beat comes on, she's going. It doesn't matter what it is. Wow, at one year old. Yeah, at one. So <laughs> if that was my son, I would have said, okay, yeah, okay, I think he's going to do this. But my son hasn't done that. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Right now. I, I frankly don't care. I mean, Got it. My, uh, you asked me that in the beginning. How was it growing up with my dad? My dad also was like that. I remember him when Michael Jackson's songs came out, I think it was Thriller and Off the Wall. I probably was around um, that period, 80, 80, between 82 and uh, going up to 84, I think the song was popping. I know my dad used to get me out to dance for his friends, Michael mm. Jackson, just to do, you know, just dance style. That was, the, that was the most I can remember about music, learning how to play the music. My dad didn't put me in no music school. He didn't take mm. me along to say, come on, learn this. I never did that. I just picked it up myself. Yourself. And when he, one of his band boys found out that I could actually play the keyboard, that's when he let him know. And that's how they recruit, recruited me in the band. And that's when I started playing. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. And, and for those of you think, uh, you know, eager to hear about the song uh, uh, I'm talking about, uh, here is uh, 
Leave Us Alone by Oriri. Every day them talk about us Why won't they just let us be? They don't know how much you love me They don't know how I make you feel But every day them talk about us Why won't they just let us be? We tell them leave us alone Leave us alone, 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 leave us alone. Every fear we feel inside For all the love we give each other Our happiness will multiply Cause everybody's got a story Everybody's got a dream We take pride in all our struggles, yeah Baby, we're one of a kind We tell them leave us alone 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 Welcome back, guys. Uh, 
let's talk a little bit about family and uh, you're, you're a family man now. I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing how time flies, right? One, one, one day you're in uh, a Kanwar campus in Nigeria, in the University of Benin, you know, the next day you have three kids, you know, living, performing, and actually being responsible for other human beings. Uh, how's family life treating you? Are there any lessons, lessons you have, you know, for single guys like us, I hope to be like you when we grow up. Uh, how is uh, family life influencing things uh, like your music uh, generally? Yeah, I mean, it's all about balance, you know. It's all about balance. If you if you balance it out right, and, and if you, if you if you budget it out right, you can you can still create a lot of time for music, and then have a lot of time for family. But I definitely say for single guys, as far as advice or whatever, uh, you just need to know that it takes work. If you really want to care for your kids and be there and pre- be present for them, mm. it's gonna it's gonna take physical presence and time, and then they're gonna be on you. It's gonna be different. Yeah, you're gonna definitely have to pay attention to somebody else apart from yourself. So, you want to make sure you plan for it. You want to make sure you you are taking care of some important things. You know, so that you're not trying to be juggling between what is the, the two very two important things. So I mean, you you generally want to make sure you're ready before you start having kids. Mm. You definitely shouldn't have too many because so when you say when you say ready, do you mean mentally, financially, spiritually, all of the mentally, above? <laughs> mentally, mentally is really important. Financially too, mm. uh, spiritually too, because if you're going to have a kid, you have to have the kid with the woman. Yeah. As if you're going to adopt. And if you're going to have that child with that woman, mm. when that child comes out, that child is connected to that woman. And if that child, yeah. if you must treat that child with love, you have to treat that woman with love. It's not, you're not going to be able to love your kid and, and hate the mom. I know people, people find themselves in that situation, but generally if you're trying to build up, build a family, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Because mm. if you're looking at your kid's face, you see the mom in there. How are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to separate the two? So, you get, so, so the planning is the planning is is two parts. You got to make sure the person you're going to have that child with at least have basic human respect and love for them, mm. because it, it's you guys are going to go through a lot of storms together. Got it. So, how how did you how did you meet uh, uh, your wife? How how, how did you uh, get get to know her? Uh, does she? Um, is, is she involved uh, in the music making process? And um, this might not be like physically in producing or anything, uh, but does she inspire you to like uh, uh, write songs and things like that? Um, yeah, we met, we met in school. We met in Arkansas. Uh, we was in, actually in the same department studying um, communic- radio, radio and television in Arkansas. So that's why, that's why I met her. I mean, she was, I I she was different from the from a lot of the kids in school. I was talking about the whole culture shock and about the whole first impressions. She was one of the few ones that was neutral. That I didn't get a, a weird vibe from as far as um you know just being obnoxious or different. Or she was, our reception was generally good. So that's kind of that was kind of the beginning. And I mean um she David, a big part of our, our uh, coming together was for the whole film production and all that stuff because she's a writer. Mm. So that's a, I mean, that's another important part when it comes to making a family because some days when love falls apart, 
you have something else that keeps you guys together that you what your stuff you're interested in doing so so that's definitely important got it got it pretty interesting and you know just in the spirit of love you know i'd like to insert my second favorite uh oriri song right here baby baby which is a song i hope i can play at my wedding someday i, I really love this song and it's more like low tempo but it's one of the your evergreen songs i, I think will be there you know for the next a couple of decades so so here's baby baby uh by oriri I gotta let my heart go right now, man. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, baby, baby, baby. I really wanna say I'm sorry. I really love to make you happy. I'll give you all you need. But baby, baby, baby. Gotta be understanding, my baby. Oh, well, honey, honey, honey. There's no need to worry. There's no need to worry. Say you're still my baby. Cause when I get this money, I'll make you happy, my baby. Yeah. Cause if I tell you baby Say I no get this money I beg make you no worry We go slow and steady Cause I'll get this money And we'll start our family And when we start When we start Say we go surely they happy I know you be CC Echo And I be Bobo Edo no one knows tomorrow Till we still day us all Well life is filled with struggles But I see tomorrow my baby yeah. Cause if I tell you honey Say I no get this money I beg make you no worry We go slow and steady Cause I'll get this money And we'll start our family And when we start, when we start Say we go surely they're happy Yeah, yeah Listen to this Say close your eyes and realize That we can make it if we try we can make it if we try Say through the night On a stormy weather, baby Say now nah, you and me, my baby Yeah, I know you be CC Echo And I be Bobo Edo Well, no one knows tomorrow Say we still the years old Well, life is filled with struggles but I see tomorrow, my baby. Till you surely they happy. Surely they happy. Because surely they happy. Say now you and me, my baby. You go get the biggie belly. 
Say you go bunny plenty picking. Hey, oh baby. Say now you and me, my baby. Do you believe? Do you believe that one day we go finally get our creep? You and me, do you believe? Do you believe that one day we go finally fly first class? You and me, do you believe? Do you believe? Say if you believe, then you stay with me, my baby. Okay. Yeah, and speaking about babies, I think I heard like your son or your daughter uh, in the background yeah, uh, there. The background. Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty interesting. I mean, you know, we're almost uh, wrapping up with the interview. Uh, I really thank you for you know uh, giving me the opportunity to you know introduce my listeners to a bunch of your music. Uh, even though this wasn't a long form interview where you know we went into depth uh, depths uh, of your life and you know growing up and all that, you know, I hopefully through the music. And through the messages that your song, um, through the messages in your song, people can, you know, get more to know more about you. And, you know, I'll leave a couple of links in the description, to, you know, to your documentary, to the YouTube page, and also your email. So if people want to reach out to you, they will. Uh, I like to give my listeners a couple of minutes to, you know, uh, plug anything they want to plug uh, at the end of the podcast. If you want to shout out a couple of people, if you want to tell people or fans, you know, all over the world, uh, what to look out for in Oriri, you know, in the coming new decade, uh, in this new year of 2020, uh, just uh, give you a couple of minutes uh, to do that. All right. Thank you so much. Definitely. Um, encouragement to you for the work you're doing. Um, uh, keep doing it. I appreciate you reaching out for the interview. And I'm glad to talk about certain things, you know, just try to stay in touch with my fathers. But, um, yeah, like I said, this year has been interesting. It's only the 30 and it's just been amazing. We don't get afraid of things like this. It's always been like this, you know, but we stay careful and we're careful. We're going to make it through 2020. But I'm really trying to focus more now on the things that are important to me. My dad is getting older. He was kidnapped three years ago by people oh, wow. in Nigeria. And uh, the kidnapping situation has been a part of the world for a long time. Even in, in America, sometime in the 20s, the early, uh, the, in the 20s, people were getting kidnapped up and down. Kids were getting kidnapped for money and all that. So Nigeria is in that phase right now. But we in diaspora, that uh, we can start to think about ways we can fight some problems that, we, that is going on in our country. Uh, my dad's kidnapping was definitely tough on the family. He's older. I mean, a few months after that, he had a stroke, and that kind of limited his uh, mobility. So you can see the effects that uh, things like that have on on families. And uh, so me, I'm like taking up the mantle right now and focusing on my dad's music, organizing his catalog, uh, trying to put everything together, and trying to in his late years uh, make some economical uh some yeah economical um decisions that would benefit him and all those people that work with him to make uh all those classic songs that the other people are so proud of so going forward the tour we're still going to work on the tour as soon as this whole corona situation is gone i was supposed to be in the uk in may 
to play with the Sons of Edo Legends. That show, I don't know if that's going to happen. So, I mean, uh, you stay posted. Uh, get, go on my website to get um, new information on realmusic.com. My dad's website is going to be up too soon. So you can see all his old songs and you'll be able to buy his songs directly from his website. Hey, you guys, I'm, when that time comes, I'm going to be direct and I'm going to be reaching out to Edo people. Mm. You got to buy Osama Joseph music from the real source mm. so that you can support him now that he's almost at retirement. A part should not go through retirement uh, without benefiting from the, the, uh, the, 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 the fruits of all his labor. So I'm going to put that, all that information out and um, that's, that's basically what's going to be happening. And some more songs for me, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm really sorry uh, about, you know, what your family went through uh, over the last couple of years. You know, we other people and hopefully through the little platforms we have like this cultural class podcast, we can also uh, support and, you know, help in publicizing uh, any project you have uh, in the future. Uh, thank you very much for coming, Oriri. Um, it's been Culture Class Podcast. You can follow us everywhere on social media. It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere. It's Culture Class Pod on Twitter. Uh, I'd like to end this podcast uh, by playing my, my personal favorite uh, Oriri song, uh, which is, again, going back to you know, the re- religious uh, and his, his faith and life experiences. This is Osa Debawen by Oriri. And I think you guys will enjoy this one. Have a great day, guys. All right. Thank you so much, Nusa. Oh no!
Sendo é o 